For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. We're in a series called Formed. I just want to call out an elephant in the room. And I think it's really helpful, actually, having just the moment we've had collectively to reflect on Ukraine as this, you know, whoa, gosh, what a thing we've just had to, we are going through with all the remoteness we've got, right? We're not even there in the, in the, in the situation of what traumatic thing that's happening, right? But even without that, we might all feel a bit busy to get on with all of that. Well, that's a big ask, isn't it? Whoa! And also, we might just feel a bit distracted from it. Is that true? Like, there's a lot of, you know, can I have some nods? <laughs> a bit of reaction, come on. Um, a bit busy, a bit distracted. That's a heck of an ask upon us, right? And so um, I, rec- I recognise that, right? And um, surely it can't just be a case of just try harder. Because if it is, I for one am sunk. I don't know about you, right? But if it's just try harder, game over, right? So, um, so instead, I want to I try and help us out on all of this, right? Building off all that bedrock that we've had. By going after something that I reckon might give us all a bit more time and attention, okay, to get on with what Jesus calls us to do. And I'm going to do that by going after what I reckon is perhaps the biggest sort of common factor amongst us, the biggest common denominator across all of us here in God First, probably across ages and stages, social demographic, gender, whatever, for us to be able to recover some time and focus to invest instead into following after Jesus. And that, I'm betting, is in how we use our phones. You guessed, Laura. Right, here we go, right? Is my phone broken? There's a really interesting conversation going on in society today, so I'm, I'm going to canter through this, right? Because it's already out there. This is not a new thing, right? Um, that maybe the digital world is really not all that it's made out to be. Maybe it's not all that good for us. Okay, and when I say digital world there today, I'm, I'm primarily meaning smartphones, because that's the predominant touch point for many of us. It's social media, but it's all the ways, the myriad of ways that we engage through digital mediums with information, or we connect with other people, or we receive entertainment, whatever, it, that whole category of stuff, right? Um, phones are just the big one, but it could be like you know, Twitter on your laptop, whatever, right? Facebook has been the most recent social media company, to, you know, as, the, as the biggest giant perhaps as well, to be in the limelight on this. So just before Christmas, there was the scandal of what was dubbed the Facebook Files. You might have heard about this. Um, these were a series of leaked documents that indicated, and this is a quote from the Wall Street Journal who were the, the lead on this, that Facebook's top management knows in acute detail that its platforms are riddled with flaws that cause harm, often in ways that only the company fully understands. Now, really interesting, right? The first president of Facebook, a chap called um, Sean Parker, he's the, if you've ever watched um, Social Network, he was the guy Justin Timberlake played. Um, he left Facebook, and he now calls himself a conscientious objector to social media. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? In a 2016 interview, so this is five years ago, six, six years ago now, um, he, said, he said this about the intent of social media companies. This is just so profound, right? The thought process that went into these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means we need to give you a sort of dopamine hit every once in a while because someone, I don't know, hit like on a photo or commented on a post or whatever. It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like me would come up with 
because we're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. And God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. So he was saying that six years ago, right? So don't be surprised that stuff like the Facebook files comes out, right? Here's the person who was in on the inside of it from the start. It's been designed that way. It's deliberate. It's part of the business model. It's intentional. There's a fascinating documentary, I don't know if anyone's seen it, on um, Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Hands up if you've seen that. Great. Well, you know what the rest of the sermon says. Great. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all about exactly this point, um, that social media and smartphones are deliberately configured to seize our attention. Right, because that's where the money is. And, um, and we're the audience to observe the, the, the advertising space that these companies are selling. That's obviously a gross oversimplification of the, the entirety of the digital media's um, business models. But that's, that's the heart of it, right? Um, they've got to keep us physically engaged. Right? It's in their interest to do so. Now, of course, the whole thing about this Netflix documentary, this side point, is it's all a bit black mirror, isn't it? Because, of course... Um, Netflix is another company that wants to grab our attention and keep us in. And so they create movies about the fact that we're being... Yeah, so anyway, but, so it's all a bit circular. Yes, but, yes. Um, yes. Uh, anyway, um, it's, it is, ironically, it's one of the top trenders on Netflix, or at least that's what um, Netflix tells me. Um, so all of this is to say it's perhaps no surprise that it comes at a cost. I hope that's not been news to you. Right? But what are some of those costs? And I just want to touch on them briefly as to what they are, just to help delineate it a bit. So the first one, distraction. Our attention spans, partly as a result of this, but there's wider things in society, so partly on this, are being trained into ever shorter fragments of time. These digital services and systems are deliberately seeking to compete against each other to create distractions that draw us in and then hook us in. And it's a competitive market, right? And they've got billions of dollars behind them to get better and better and better at this. Um, the chap called Cal Newport, who wrote this book, which I'll refer to a few times today, thanks to Mark for um, pointing me to it, he said this, the urge to check Twitter or refresh Reddit becomes a nervous twitch that shatters uninterrupted time into shards too small to support the presence of mind necessary for an intentional life. We should be really clear-eyed about the fact that these digital services are almost always seeking to most effectively seize our attention. And that insight was put very neatly from a chap called Seth Godin. You've probably heard this. It's a very very well, often quoted um, little line. He said, your phone doesn't work for you. It works for Apple, Google, Facebook, or Twitter. We want to believe that we're the customer, but we're not the customer. We're the product. Whoops. What's being sold is our attention. So distraction. Second thing, time. Slightly different, right? It's just the total amount of time going into this. There's stats that have been published at various intervals on how the average user uses their smartphone. If you've got a smartphone, you can dare to look. If you go into the settings, at how often you use your phone. Do not get your phones out now to do it. Right? But um, these are the average stats. Broadly speaking, the average user is on their phone for two and a half hours per day across 76 separate sessions. I'll do the maths for you. That's 76 bursts of two minutes. Okay? That's, that's the average user. Okay? Um, it puts us into a state that psychologists call continuous partial attention. Right? Um, now, those stats are more pronounced, that's the average, mean average, those stats are more pronounced for the younger segments of the population. So, shout out to those here, uh, here who were born after 1995. Um, the average there is that you are, you're spending five and a half hours per day on your phone. Five and a half hours? What? That can't be true, can it? Surely not, surely not. 
Well, no, those are the average stats. I dare you later to look at your own phone and see, see what you've been using it for, right? And this is the thing. It's surprising. We just don't realize how much time we spend on this. Now, of course, right, there's lots of very good legitimate uses. This is not a sermon about throw your phone out the window. We're not going to have a bucket at the end, right? But, um, <laughs> but just note that that's how much time we can end up spending, spending on, on this as a platform. Do we realize that? Is that a choice we've made? So the third one, right, um, mental health. Psychiatrists are analysing what seems to be a really concerning increase of mental health trends, particularly across uh, the younger generation, so Generation Z, so these are people born after 1995, there or thereabouts, um, and they're significant because there are, there are people who've grown up, um, obviously contingent on social demographic, right, but often fully exposed to a smartphone from an early age, can't really remember life without it. Um, Jean Twenge uh, is a psychologist specialising in the differences that appear across generations. She wrote an absolutely sublime article in 2017 on The Atlantic, this American um, uh, outlet, that's brilliantly incisive, so I'm going to quote her at length and save you having to read the article yourselves. Right. She said this, The arrival of the smartphone has radically changed every aspect of teenagers' lives, from the nature of their social interactions to their mental health. Rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011. It's not an exaggeration to describe Generation Z as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. It's worth reading her article. She's not a polemicist. This isn't, you know, again, she's, she's using the phone. Um, she's published this on the internet, right? She's not like some crazy hippie in the, in the woods. Um, <laughs> she's been... Shout out to those people if you're here today as well, right? But... Um, <laughs> Uh, she's, been able, she's been able to base her work on an annual statistical uh, surveys of whole populations. So this is like proper, you know, psychological, uh, psychiatric assessment stuff. Um, the results could not be clearer, she says, from the analysis she's done. Teens who spend more time than average on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy. The more time teens spend looking at screens, the more likely they are to report symptoms of depression. She doesn't say it's necessarily causative, right? But she just you know, notes it. And then she also says that this trend is increasing and is especially steep among girls. It's interesting, right? So she says this, boys' depressive symptoms increased by 21% from 2012 to 2015, while girls increased by 50%, more than twice as much. The rise in suicide, too, is more pronounced among girls. Although the rate increased for both sexes, three times as many 12 to 14-year-old girls killed themselves in 2015 versus 2007, compared to twice as many as boys. Right, she's making a point there about it's worse for girls than boys. Don't miss the baseline point. It's awful for both. Yeah, yeah. This is a massive social problem. Whilst it's seemingly worse for girls, right? just hear that. Fourth one, social isolation. It's implicit in everything that's been said there about mental health, but there's this perverse thing that a lot of people have written about, about social media, that too much social media can make you feel socially isolated. And there's just something about that as a platform. Maybe you've experienced that in other ways of being zoomed out, right? It just feels all a bit like, oh, I just need some people. And isn't it great to be able to back together and so looking forward to groups and all that, right? But social isolation. And the fifth one, addiction. All of these things point to what psychologists would describe as indicators of addiction. Right. This might just press a bit close to home now, so brace. This is um, Cal Newport, uh, a line from him that just really hit me when I was reading this. He said, increasingly, smartphones dictate how we behave and how we feel. 
and somehow coerce us to use them more than we think is healthy, often at the expense of other activities that we find more valuable. It's a feeling of losing control, such as when we tune out with our phone during our children's bath time, or lose our ability to enjoy a nice moment without the frantic urge to document it for a virtual audience. Um, he's put his finger on something there that, I didn't quite realise I might be out of control, or I have to do it, or it's impulsive. Um, clearly it's not all okay, right? That's the headline point from those five things. I hope none of that's been new. I don't feel like a voice in the wilderness shouting this. There's a conversation going on in society everywhere, all the time, um, about this. And so engage in that. If this is new to you, read, read some stuff, get out there and, and, and engage in it. But there's also loads of benefits too, though, right? Let's, let's, you know, again, um, see, see the balance. We're at a point in the last 20 years, particularly over the last two years, where we've perhaps gained the most from what it is that all of these digital mediums have got to offer to us, right? Were Zoom calls not a lifeline to many of us, right? Was that not just a wonderful blessing? Um, there's all the global connectivity points, the remote working, and all the green benefits that come from all of that, right? It's, you know, there's, there's balance to this. The sheer wealth of information and, and entertainment that's disposable to us at our fingertips for free. Um, there it is. This is not a TED talk about social media. This is a sermon, right? So um, how, are we, how are we getting this together? I want to join two dots. I want to take all of that, I just said, and I want to join it to those bedrock points. Okay? That what we're about, what we're here for, what our the mandate that Jesus places on our lives is to follow after Jesus. That's the number one thing. That's our purpose. That's the story we're a part of. That's the love that we go after. So I want to ask us this today, right? What would it look like to put first the thing which actually matters most to us and have all that digital stuff follow after? What would it look like? What would the practices be? Let me ask it a different way. How can we change how we use digital stuff so that in the way we use it, we are instead putting first that thing which actually matters most to us, becoming after Jesus? Okay. How does the end to which we're living inform the means by which we do? Nods, clear. If you're not clear, raise your hand now, because otherwise the rest ain't going to make sense, right? That's, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. So what does the Bible say, right, that it would look like to put Jesus first on this? That's a huge question, isn't it? I, I really wrestled with that as I was preparing, and I ended up landing in Psalm 111, which as you all know, I know, of course you don't, right? just off the cuff, right, but here we go. Psalm 111. If you've got a Bible, turn to it. Um, if you're new to the Bible, Psalms are one little book within the library of 60 or so that make up the Bible. It's an anthology of poems and, and songs that we've got recorded primarily from before Jesus, well, all from before Jesus was born. Um, if you've not got a physical Bible, can I encourage you to leave your phone in your pocket and not use it? You might find yourself distracted by whatever. Put it away. Put it away, Tristan. Right. <laughs> so I'm joking, joking. Honestly, if you, if you use your phone, that's fine. Just you know, be cautious about the fact you might get a WhatsApp text in the middle of it. Right. Um, but it's also going to be on the screen behind me if you've not got a Bible or aren't familiar with, uh, with the Bible. Um, so Psalm 111. Um, now, the reason I'm looking at this, right, was I was just really struck as I was preparing for this in the last few weeks, that I'd say the person who wrote this sounds to me like exactly the sort of person who has somehow put God first. Right? It just sounds like the product of someone who's done that. 
They sound like someone who's so immersed in their relationship with God, they're undistracted and wholly undivided in their attention. And they sound like the sort of person I want to be. So let me read it for us. Um, the other thing to note about this is um, it's written as like an acrostic poem. So if you just remember back to your literacy lessons, that's where the first letter is like part of the alphabet to help make it memorable and so that everyone could know it. So it's like a training aid as well as a poem, like as a song. Um, and this would have been a song, right? So I want to sing that. So, praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in him. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him, and he remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All of his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. It's a good poem, isn't it? I want to be like that. I I want to have gone through the thing, which means I write that. I don't really write poems, right? But I don't even write songs, right? But um, when we sing our songs on a morning, that's what we're doing. We're doing that. The author of that has got his attention so firmly on God. But there's a couple of other things I spotted just as I was going through it very quickly. He's enraptured by God. He just can't get enough of him, can he? He just can't get enough. He's exploding with delight and joy in the Lord. He saturated himself in knowing God. He's finding himself valuing and treasuring what God values to the extent that he's becoming like God. He's loving what God loves. Do you see that? He's delighting after these things like faithfulness and uprightness and God keeping his promises. And isn't that a great thing? Yeah, because that's what God does. It feels like this person would have known exactly what Jesus meant to seek first the kingdom of God. So what can we do? How do we get there? How, hello? How do we get there? I want to make this really practical now. We're in, a, we're in, a, we're in, a, in that map of all these different ways that we orientate ourselves. This is a sermon that's about practices. It's in the theme of practices. So this is going to get hyper-practical. Um, and I want to give us some specific principles and concrete ideas for how we can start making better choices about how we use that world of digital stuff to seek after Jesus first, to seek first the kingdom of God. Um, what did I write here? There's something in pencil that was a late amendum. Yeah, that was the thing. 
Many of the practices we're going after as a church will be things that are more familiar to us as spiritual practices, prayer, fasting, things that we're already going after as a church. None of these things necessarily have to be in sequence. Bible reading, solitude, community. These are all really big, important things. See this as an enabling practice for others. Maybe put it in the, car- the, um, in the bucket of solitude, simplicity, prayerfulness. It spans across them all, right? So I just want that's just a little, um, little late caveat. Um, and as we started to learn together about practices, there's this thing about unforeseen consequences. Remember I said just hold that up in the air? I would expect that just as psychologists have seen in Generation Z units all those um, negative consequences, that by reducing the amount of time we spend on our phones, which just seems very mundane and ordinary, that it is going to result in benefits in other parts of our lives that we're not expecting. It might mean that we're more present, less anxious, more engaged, okay? So that's, that's, where, that's where we're at and why we're on this is a really practical thing, why we're talking about phones on a Sunday. So here we go, right? Some principles and some practices. Number one, if you're taking notes, take them in pen and paper, not on your phone, right? <laughs> Number one, um, use technology, don't let it use you. All right, hopefully that's like already saying itself from what I've said so far today, right? But accept that your phone is likely to be addictive to you and that you are probably already addicted. Here's a test question for you. Can you imagine switching your phone off, giving it to someone else, and not seeing it again for a week? Palpitations! Oh, no, no, don't do that. Don't Don't ask us to do that, Tom. (laughs) I'm not going to ask it. Um, I know I'd get the sweats if I had to do that. Right? That's, whoa, I can't have it. Right? Cal Newport, right, in, in this book, right, he, so he's, he's not a Christian, or at least it's not evident from what he's writing. He's not saying that the end to which we should be living is this. But he does say, put first the reason you're trying to live and then let everything else follow after. Um, and in it, he, he suggests advocating an approach where you deliberately strip back. You deliberately strip back and then slowly add back in. Um, so don't necessarily go cold turkey. Lots of psychological stuff to say that's not really a particularly helpful approach to take when you're trying to make changes to, to habits and practices. Um, but he says, take that step back. So I thought, okay, well, nothing like having to prepare for a sermon to sort of make you sort of follow some of this advice. So I did. So I'm day 29 now into a deliberate stripping back of using my phone. And in fact, all, all sorts of different stuff. Um, uh, and what it's, uh, what it's looked like for me is that I've set deliberate time quotas per day for the apps that I would find myself going into and tail spinning off into. So that was, for me, using a browser, WhatsApp, um, email, turns out I could find myself spending a whole lot of time on email, um, and photos, right? Um, so I've set myself as five-minute five, five limits on them, um, and I can only use them after seven o'clock, which is my kids' bedtime, so that I wasn't using my phone during their bath time, right, when I, um, which is the thing I was doing. I've got rid of all those other apps that were basically browsers, so all the like, social media, Instagram, I'm not really too big on them, right, but I, um, all of that stuff. Um, and also the phone now lives in a corner of my kitchen when I'm at home, so it's not on my body. Right? So that's what it's looked like for me. I'm, you know, I'm a real human, I've done that, I've survived. Um, uh, but what, what I learn in the first week is that it's weird, it does feel weird. It does feel a bit like, where's my phone? It's my phone. Um, the time when I realised, oh my goodness, my, I'm, I'm definitely am addicted, was brushing my teeth. Um, oh. No, no news to, can't, got no news to look at. It's just me and my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, my, my, 
how have we got, how have I got to this place? How have I got to that? That that feels weird, right? What has happened to me, right? I'm sh- I, just, like, I just can't believe that that's not true of, of more of us, right? But maybe I'm more addictive than most, right? But just look at those average stats again, right? So what a revolutionary thought. And, um, you know, those two minutes of just time to, um, to, to just to think and process and reflect and maybe think ahead to what's coming next and have a, have a moment of independent thought um, about anything, never mind whether I've managed to make a prayer out of that two minutes, right? But um, there we go. Um, what, so what Cal says, as well as that stripping back, he also then says, right, when you go to add things back in, just be really careful and deliberate about that. And he's got three really powerful questions that I just thought, you know, save you reading the book. These are the really powerful questions that he asks. And it's all about what you're living for first. What's your purpose? What's your life want to be about? How do you become the guy or girl who wrote Psalm 111? He says this. Does, your, does this technology that you're going to seek to use directly support something I deeply value? So does it? does it? Does it help you do that? Second question, if you think you've got through that gateway, is this technology the best way to support that value? Or are you just using your phone because that's the thing that you've always used? And if I'm going to use it, so you've managed to get through those two, you've even got this third question, it's like the swords. If I am, how am I going to use this technology going forward to maximise its value to me whilst minimising the impact it could have on me? They're really good questions to ask. And he could apply it to so much stuff, right? He could apply it to loads of different things, but he applies it particularly to, to text. Let me give you a really simple example of what that might look like. You might say, okay, just, just in life, right? Um, it's really important for me that I'm organised and not forgetful, right? There's all the kindness and loving things around that, but just basics of like getting around in life. Um, and a phone-based diary might be the thing which is a good tool for helping you keep on top of all that stuff. And to see what maybe what your spouse has got scheduled. Maybe you can have a, you know... Florence, Florence, she's not in the room, but she's, she's got all these different colours on the calendar. We've had them for years. I've got no idea what they mean. I've got absolutely no, absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. Um, but it's all colour-coded. Right, anyway, there we go. Um, but if, don't tell her that. But this, is, this is Florence's sister, Bromwood. Don't tell her. That, right? um, but, if checking your, but if, right, if checking your phone means that you accidentally end up going off on to do something else that you hadn't gone in to do because you've been distracted and sucked in, Maybe the best thing is a pen and paper diary. Just, you know, 10 years ago, that was not a radical suggestion. <laughs> that sounds crazy. That sounds crazy, Tom. What are you talking about? Get off the stage. Right, um, that. Another example, right? Might be the value, like, you might really value the importance of being kind and loving to people, right? And staying, staying in contact. For all those um, people who are great at loving people and staying in contact, this one's for you. So the question then is, what tools do I use to help me do that? What's the best thing that's going to help me get there to do that? Um, and one thing there might be how you communicate at distance. Right? How do you do that? How do you keep in touch with people? If what matters is being loving and kind and the depth of friendship with these people, then maybe the right answer is not the quick volleys of social media platform-based communications, quick WhatsApp messages, text, you know, Facebook message, whatever, right? Maybe it's less frequent, but more deliberate communication with those people. Maybe that will express love more to those people. Maybe it's choosing to schedule time when you're going to think, who am I going to communicate with and why? And what are the best things I can say, rather than being in constant response mode? I've just got a text, I'm going to fire it back. Right? That's what it could look like. None of that says you can't use WhatsApp or Facebook. I think it's about where, how am I going to use it? 
what are the best ways of using tech to help me get there? Right, that was number one. Use technology, don't let it use you. Principle number two, change is not as bad as you think, right? And I deliberately offer this now rather than the first point because you're already thinking, there's absolutely no way I'm doing any of that, Tom. No way. Pen and paper? What are you talking about? These sorts of options sound crazy. They sound crazy. I mean, who's going to stop using their phone, right, for all these things? But there's a thing going on here, and I just want to name it. It's a psychological thing. We all have this instinctive psychological bias called loss aversion, and it's to think that it's far worse to lose something that we've already got, even if the thing that we're going to get is much better. That just, like, just happens everywhere. It's called loss aversion bias. I see it at work all the time if you ask someone to say, look, we're just going to, I don't know, just stop that little process that you own, and we're going to have this much better thing. Absolutely not. This is mine. Don't touch it. Right? No. <laughs> no, it's not. And that's how we, that's how we are, isn't it? It's all precious. So, yeah. um, that's loss aversion bias. That's a thing. And just knowing that and being conscious of it helps us as we sort of manage our hearts through this to say, okay, well, what's really going on here? Am I making a sensible decision, or am I just making a precious, don't panic decision? Right? Um, so let me give you an example. We might say, right, okay, um, I want to make more time for the things that Jesus calls as apprentices, um, as apprentices to do. Um, so I could give up using Instagram, right? I'm, I've never been big on Instagram, right, but maybe some of you are. But that's why I spend loads of my time. So I could give that up, and then that would give me loads of other time to do other things. But hang on, if I get rid of that, then I won't be able to keep track of some of those friends that I only, only ever keep in contact with on, on Instagram. And that just seems too much of a cost. That's loss aversion bias, right? Because you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a much better thing, but I'm giving up something that's that's not as good. But I, I can't, I can't possibly conceive giving that up. It seems too much of a cost. Or I could restrict my use of WhatsApp so that I only use it, like I said before, maybe at those times of day when I'm deliberately choosing to use it. Well, but that means I won't be in like the the quick to and fro of conversations throughout the day. Well, yeah. You won't, right? There's, a, there's, a, there's an equation here. Um, but what's going on there is fake maths in our head. Yeah. Right? It's fake maths. I call it fake news. Right? It's fake maths. Um, the thing you've got to decide to give up will always feel more precious than the thing you don't yet have, even if that's a better thing. Number three, right? new habits take time. What's yours? Now, as I've said, I've been trying to, this new digital habit for 30 days now. It's a real pairing back. Uh, and change is something that our minds and our bodies uh, need time to adapt to. Um, all the scholarly and indeed ancient thinking on changes of behaviours talk about uh, changes in time to sort of sink in. We need to, we need to be patient with ourselves on this. Um, so it maybe takes like 30 to 40 days for some stuff to really start to stick and become normal and not like, uh, snap back to where we were before. Um, I also found it really helpful as I was doing this 30 days to just literally write out on a piece of paper um, what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. just found that, you know, just quick bullet points. It only took me two minutes, but that's what we're going to do. Here's what I found. As I said before, those first seven days were weird, but then you soon adapt. I tried something similar. Actually, so I'm, this is like part two for me. I tried something similar about 18 months ago um, to remove all the notifications from my phone so my phone stopped telling me a thing. It stopped making a noise and it stopped vibrating, unless it was a phone call. Um, and for months, maybe you've got this, for months... I have phantom like vibration on the leg. You get that? You get that? Who gets that, right? No. Have I heard have I just heard of something? You know, what's that? Is that my phone? No. 
it's there, right? Um, it takes a long time. I had that for about six months. Six months. Um, uh, the second thing is confession time. Right? This month I found myself cheating. Right? So um, I found, um, I, I work at GCHQ, right? But, so I've got sort of main like, secret computer, but I've also got like a little laptop. Man, I've started to make use of that laptop this last month. Not all the time. <laughs> you know, like, oh, great. You know, quick, what's going on in the news? <laughs> quick. Right? So, like, man, heart's like, well, got to go after that in a different place. So set yourself some limits, but going to find a way out of that, Tom. Going to trick yourself. Yeah. Um, other apps. I did not realise I needed a time limit on how I use my file storage on my phone. <laughs> right? Like, whoa. You know, like... There's something going on there, isn't there? There's something deep in my heart. Something, anything, just, oh, this phone needs to, like, I just need to, oh, it's, it's, that, it's cathartic. No, no, it's not, Tom. You need to change. Um, so those are some of the things I've observed. Some of the other things that I think I've observed, ask Florence if these are true. Um, I think I've been far more present, like, in the room, in conversation, with my family and my friends. Um, I've dared, ha- dared to go out with Howard and John for a beer without my phone. I ventured out of the house without my phone. Well it's scary. Yeah, you did have your, yeah. Well, this is the thing. So I've, be, I've become more conscious of other people using their phones when I'm with them. Yeah. Uh, just like, and I, I don't mean that in like a judgmental way, but you know, I spot when you video me, I spot, you know, it helps when you do a sermon on it, right? But um, I've just become more conscious of that. And I've just seen the disruptive effects that it's had on me. But oh gosh, I've been doing that for years with people. Um, uh, I found that um, I, I've realised that I need to do some things on my phone that I thought I could get away with, so I do actually need to use the email on my phone more than I, more than I thought I could. But I've also realised I can do things, and it's actually helpful for me if I do them on a laptop, because there's a bit of like a physical action. I have to go and get the laptop, I have to fold it out. Our laptop's not very fast, <laughs> got to wait. But it becomes a job, and it's not a thing that I want to be spending all my time doing. So I do it, and then I close the laptop, and it's gone. I found that to be really helpful. Um, uh, I've also found that I think I've had more independent thoughts. Like genuinely, I've had like more new ideas in the last thirty, the last 30 days. Like I've thought about more stuff in new ways. Um, I've started more of my days in prayer. I've started less of them in reading the news. Um, so that's that's what's happened to me um, in thirty days. So uh, change uh, habits take time. What's yours? Number four. Uh, what did I call this in the end? You're already weird, right? <laughs> <laughs> Right, just to call out another elephant in the room, right? Um, just to accept that if you were to start doing some of these things, that's going to make you different from how everyone else who isn't here might start to use their phones. Now, there's a caveat in that, right? This is, this is available in Waterstones. There's a conversation going on in society. Lots of other people are actually already thinking about this. So it's not that weird. Um, the second thing is... Um, Making changes to how you use digital tools is about making choices that help you be the sort of person Jesus calls you to become. So there's no mandate here, right? Just be really clear on this, hear me. There's no mandate to cease being loving and kind. So if people sort of are expecting to get in touch with you, so I had to say this to a few friends. I said, hey, uh, just so you know, like, I'm, I'm going through this. It was a really helpful conversation, actually, with some of my friends. It just led to loads of conversation. So I'm just, I'm just stepping back from this in some areas. So if you need to get in touch with me, know that you need to call me. Otherwise, I might take a bit of time or... Um, if I've, if I've run out of WhatsApp time, I might send you an SMS and just know that, actually, you know, it's not just, you know, it's not just I'm trying to be cool. <laughs> I'm, just, you know, I'm just going back to SMS because that's the only thing I've still got. Um, um, uh, yeah, so, um, so just know that, right? Keep loving people. Don't just break off contacts with people. And the third thing is we're already weird in so many other ways, right? 
this is the least of our trouble. This is the least of our trouble. We don't do money in the way that our non-Christian friends do money. Amen. Who do you know who tithes? It's not, um, it's not Christian or, or at least part of another um, faith section. We don't do sex and relationships in the same way as many other people. Choosing to wait and commit our whole lives to, to sexual unity with one other, one other person or maybe even to never marry. We don't spend our weekends like everyone else. You're not having brunch right now, are you? <laughs> Which I was, Tom, not listening to you. <laughs> right? Okay, right. Um, we're already different in so many ways. Right? We're, already, we're already weird. This is the least of our problems. So maybe a better question to ask is, why don't I feel weird enough on this regard already? Right? Um, I'm sure we've got a lot further to go. So number five, right? last one. What's your digital habit? Okay. Passing it over to you now. Okay, this is over to you, right? This is, a, this is, as I say, the first in a theme around practices. What matters here are the choices that you want to choose to make for how you're going to change how you use your digital stuff so that you can get more after what Jesus calls us to do, to become more like him, after him, right? You might find it helpful to really cut back for 30 days. Please don't feel you have to. All of this stuff is invitational. None of it is prescriptive. You can try as you might to try and find a, word, a, a line from Jesus saying how you should, should and shouldn't use your smartphone. It's not there, right? But there's a whole load of principles that are true. Um, and in any case, the value here is in how you decide to do it, right? There's something about you owning this and deciding to do it. That's where the money is, okay? So, sorry, even attending and listening to me talk for 35 minutes isn't enough. There's a thing you've got to do now, right? So for those of you heckling at the back right, and shouting, to just get to that list of specifics, Tom, right, here we are. So uh, in rapid, uh, rapid pace, here are some uh, specific ideas I've come to, I've come across um, along the way. I don't do all of these, um, but some, some of them I just think are really insightful and profound. Um, so here we go. No devices upstairs. Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? Right? That's, there's that addiction and loss aversion again. Oh, man, all, all sorts of consequences to that. Um, so idea two that goes with that, buy a regular alarm clock. I did that this week. I bought a, a regular alarm clock. Yeah. It's got the radio on it. Oh, yeah, I wanted that. But, um, you know, it's <laughs> um, just a regular alarm clock. So I, so I don't need, don't, I can't find an excuse for my heart to be like, oh, I just need to use the alarm function. Nope, gone, right. It's that. Um, number th- idea number three, no access to the internet in private spaces. As kids say, so I won't go into the detail on that, right? But, like, just, I think some obvious logic on that. Right? If you struggle with how you might be using your phone, I've not really talked much about that today, right? but there's a thing. Just like, shackle your phone to a corner in your room that's like in like, your kitchen or your hallway, whatever, right? No, no phones in private spaces. Uh, strip your phone of all the apps. Just only use the things you really need to. Set your phone to, be all, on always, do not dis- set your phone to always be on do not disturb. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, except for maybe, example, phone calls. Like, it's a bit complex for how to do it in your phone, like, because Google doesn't really want you to be able to do that easily, right? It's not no interest, but it's doable now. There's been a whole lot of pressure on Google and Apple to do that, so you, you can. You can relatively easily set those settings in your phone. Um, no phones at the dinner table, yeah. right? It's a good, it's just like, of course, right? Let's, let's just do that. Um, keep your phone in a fixed place in the home or at workplace as well that isn't on your body. I think that's the key thing. Just yeah. get it off you. Just get it off that grabbable reach when, you, when you've got a spare moment. Um, dare to spend a day a week apart from your phone. I think that's a bit like fasting. You know, it's just like, it just helps. It might help you for how you use it on other days of the week. 
Don't take your phone out with you, especially to things like kids' events. I don't know, so if you're, I don't know, your kids playing rugby or whatever, um, just let, make sure that when they turn around to look at you watching, that you're watching, you're not looking up your phone, right? Um, there's, there's, oh, just what's the attritional value of that over time? Um, move your living room furniture around, right? So it's not all orientated towards the TV. It might, like, force you to have a conversation. Um, uh, no, no midweek TV. Me and Florence have been doing that for a while, so, you know, I can celebrate about this. And we found that found that's really good for us, actually. Like, when we started doing that during lockdown, we just found we had loads more to talk about. And we just think our relationship really, like, benefited from that. Like, just no, we never, like, sat and watched the whole evening, but it would be our default activity, just, like, go and watch half an hour or something. So we just decided to stop doing that during the week. It's doable. Give you hope. Um, uh, only ever use one screen at a time. So, like, like, unless you've got, like, eyes that can do this, and, like, multi-core processors, just one phone at a time. Um, well, you've just made me think of another one, though, actually. Like, there's something as well about doing it collectively. So if you're doing a task, like, everyone's doing the same task, right? Um, uh, yes, we are nearing the end. Well done. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks for reading the room on that. Yeah. Um, uh, go for a walk without your phone. It's terrifying at first. You think you'll get lost. You think you'll have no hope. Hey, I had to, um, I had to borrow a phone from someone to make a phone call. Yeah, I know, isn't it? Isn't it? Because there's no phone boxes anymore. They've all gone. They've all gone. I was like, oh, like, I was going to go to the shop, so I couldn't remember, oh, what was it that Florence said I needed to get? <laughs> it's like, I just need, I need to ask someone, can I, hey, can I borrow your phone to make a call? They thought I was like some sort of lunatic. Um, they let me, though, right? Um, it was actually quite a op nice opportunity just to have a quick conversation with someone that I didn't met before. Anyway, um, journal, for those who have never thought about that, I don't do that, but quite a lot of people find that that's a really good like, counter-practice to instead just sit and write some stuff down. Um, it's a different way of, rather than input, it's output. Um, fasting, I mentioned that before, but it's one of these things about unintended consequences. I've recently started to just get into fasting a little bit, and um, I've found that that has been really helpful with this. And I didn't expect that. I did not expect that. But that little bit of self-control where I've had to say, okay, Tom, I know you're really hungry. Oh, I feel hungry. I feel like I just want to eat that food that's there, but I'm just not going to, and it's only, I've only got to wait like five hours until the next meal. Um, that's been really helpful when it's come to my phone. Yes, because I've been like, I really want the news. It's okay, Tom, you can probably survive until like, you know, that time when you're going to get the opportunity on the laptop. To, you know, right? <laughs> so, but you can, you can get through this stuff. But these, these, these practices interrelate and have different benefits on us. Um, so there's, there's my like, quick fire list. There's loads more. You'll think of more. Be creative. Our groups are great, place to talk, great places to talk about this. I just want to make this really explicit that these practices that we're going to be talking about as, as a church over the next few months and, and years, our groups are great places to talk about this. If you've got a top tip on how best to follow after Jesus... Tell other people, right? Tell, tell them, right? It just feel at total liberty to have that conversation. It's not like a... a I've, really, I've really tried to bake into this, my failures, because I, like, it's really important we have that. Um, so it's not like a pride thing if you choose to have a conversation at a, a small group about, hey, I tried this practice and I found it to be quite effective. Great! Have that conversation as much as you possibly can. Um, so let, let me just land this now, right? We, we are apprentices of Jesus. That's the, that's the bedrock. That's, where, that's what all of this is built on. We are choosing to go all in on living after Jesus. And everything else follows after. Tech can help us with that. It can also be a massive hindrance. And for many of us, 
Judging by the laughter, it probably is wildly out of kilter for most of us. Wildly out of kilter. So we've got loads that's possible to change. And change is possible. There's hope here. Um, and whilst it might seem like a strangely non-spiritual thing to be going after um, on our first theme of practices and habits, as I say, my hope here is that this is about freeing up time and attention, togetherness, relationship, mental health, right? all those things, right? That is going to have a positive enabling effect for us on all the other things that we want to be going after. Um, so my prayer for us in the run-up to this has been that making these sorts of changes would lead to us individually and collectively being the sort of people who would write something like Psalm 111. That that would be the thing that flows out of us. This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.